You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Really glad you're with us here today. I, I love uh, Mother's Day for a, from church perspective because it's like the one weekend that everybody carpools to church for some reason. So uh, it's amazing. Uh, so thank you for saving the environment and loving your mom. Save time. That's really cool. Hey, but I'm Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Grateful that you're with us here today. And our mission is that we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. We want you to have at least one person in your life that you're sharing Jesus with and talking to them about spiritual things and inviting them to church so that they could discover Jesus, follow him fully, and lead somebody to do the very same thing. So uh, thanks for joining us online, wherever you might be joining us around the country, around the world. Thanks for being with us here today. Connect with that chat host throughout the service. They're going to give you links along the way to be able to make sure you stay connected. If there's anything you need or even a prayer request, they're happy to help you with it. But before I get too far, I, I want to kind of close the loop on what we've been experiencing the past couple of weeks through the chosen experience through World Vision. Now, if you're brand new, you're not sure what we're talking about, I'll just tell you that Chosen is a child sponsorship event that's it's done through World Vision, and we sponsor children in Zambia. But the difference is, is that we say we want to be chosen and we want to be sponsor kids. We then send our pictures over to Zambia. The kids then get to choose who they want to sponsor, and then we find out who it was uh, through what's called a reveal party. Now, back in 2021, the first time we did it, we sponsored 422 children at that one time. And these, over these past two weekends, I want to let you know the additional number of kids that we have sponsored, which is 243 additional kids are being sponsored. So cool. Yeah. So if you're quick with math, you can know that that is 665 kids that we're sponsoring over in Zambia. Now, were we to do this again, which we will, or if you're thinking about it, it has to be two kids because I don't want to deal with 666 as the number of kids that we're sponsoring in Zambia. So you got to do two, okay? That's how it's going to work. But, but thank you. It's just amazing to be able to see what God's doing. And also, next week, we start a brand new series, and it's called The Wilderness. And what we're going to be looking at is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And, and I just want to invite you to be to be coming, but then also to invite your one. I think it's gonna be fantastic. You won't wanna miss the kickoff of that next week. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna challenge you. And I know summer's coming and graduations are coming and all the things are coming. I wanna challenge you to come all four weeks. Don't miss a week. I want you to come every single week. Make God a priority in your schedule instead of an add-on to your schedule. Join us for the wilderness. It's gonna be awesome. We gotta unpack all the difficult things that Jesus went went through and then to, to relate to how we can get through it just as he did. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to do that. But it is Mother's Day, and I think I speak for every one of us that, that will literally say that, that we would not be here today without you mothers. <clears throat> Seriously, think about that for a second, that we would not be here with today without, right, it gets funnier if you think about it, right? So, so we just, I appreciate you so much, especially my wife, Cherie, and uh, I can't believe she's just an amazing mother of our two children, love her so much, and Honestly, doesn't, don't know how she puts up with all of us at the same time. So love you, Cherie. But all the moms just appreciate you guys today. But I do think that it goes without saying that all of us can agree, whether we're parents, whether we're couples, whether we're dating, whether we're single, whether we're just a plain human being on this world, 
we will lose it from time to time, don't we? Yeah, I mean, we will lose it. There's these moments where we become so fed up, so completely exhausted, we feel like, that, like we can barely hold it together, we're emotionally fragile. Like, anybody had those moments before? Maybe this morning on the car ride in, you know, you just have those moments. For me, it's called Monday. Monday is always that moment. Um, there's a pastor that lovingly once said that he calls it Bread Truck Monday. He, he, because he says, on Monday, I decide whether I want to drive a bread truck or if I want to be a pastor. Because honestly, who doesn't love the bread truck guy when he comes up and he smells good all day and everything? But by the time Friday rolls around, he wants to be a pastor again. But you know, it's one of those things. Because even if Sunday or the weekend is fantastic, I am physically, emotionally, spiritually just exhausted. Again, might have been a great weekend, but I am spent on Mondays. And on Mondays, I have the highest probability of losing it. And anyone is fair game, honestly. Kids, other drivers on the road, right? People standing in line at Walgreens, stray cats, house cats, cats on Instagram, people that wear cat t-shirts, like I mean anything, right? Anything. It doesn't take much for me to kind of lose it. And, and it's this feeling that I just want to let go of everything that's inside of me because I'm frustrated, maybe I'm overwhelmed, maybe I feel stressed out. And then it spews out in all kinds of different ways. Maybe for you too. Maybe it's been, maybe it's tears. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's hurtful words. Maybe you're yelling. Anybody been so like just awkwardly laugh? That's how you lose it. Like I do that. It's, it's this feeling that we're trying to find the path of least resistance to get all the junk out of our life. And in our minds, we tell ourselves what? We tell ourselves, this is going to feel so much better once I just get it all out. If I don't get it out, I'm just going to explode. It's my only option left. And so, man, we let it rip. But then after that, what happens? After we let it out, after we spew, after we have our adult temper tantrum, we usually don't feel any better, right? right? In fact, sometimes we'll feel worse than when we did it because now we've created a whole new mess. We have now affected a relationship. We might have damaged our parenting with our kids. We have, a, we have a hurt in our marriage now. We might have even lost our job, all because we chose to lose it. Happy Mother's Day, right? Like, I don't know, right? That's how it happens. But, but what if, what, what, what if just for a second, like just for a second, bear with me for just a moment, what, what if we were losing it over the wrong things? Like, what if, what if all the stuff that we carry around with us is, is not the root cause of our feelings of being overwhelmed? What, what if there is something even deeper going on in our lives that all that stuff that we spew out is just a cover for it, that we really aren't really getting to what is really need to be affected the most? And yes, I know this firsthand. There, there are times when I'm coaching my son's baseball team or one of the other baseball teams that I coach where I will get frustrated. I will get upset. Now, this isn't like in theory. This was like Thursday at practice. Like, this is real. And I mean, we're talking kids with tears flowing out because why? Because they made a mistake. They missed some signs. They lost focus. They looked at strike three, like uh, all kinds of things. And I'll just, I'll lose it. Just a little bit. I'll lose it. And then later on, I feel like garbage because I just yelled at a bunch of 10 and 11 year old kids, okay? And as I thought about why that happens, I, I, I have to kind of ask myself, why is it that that happens? And I realize that it's not actually me being mad at the kids. I'm mad at myself. 
And the deep down root issue that's there is, is insecurity. Like I'm insecure about what these other coaches might think of my team and my coaching ability. I'm insecure that the parents on our team think that I'm just a, 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 a loser and I'm not coaching their kids the right way. I'm insecure about whether I'm actually good enough to coach the kids and help them. Like I'm a hot mess. Like this is what's happening. But it's this insecurity that's inside me that comes out when I lose it. And I'll tell you, I, I hate that about myself. See, the issue wasn't entirely about the kids missing signs or not miss swinging at strike three, right, or not paying attention. The deeper issue was about my insecurity and me losing sight of the more important things that the game was actually there to teach them. And in that moment, I needed to lose, I needed to lose my insecurity and not my temper because that was the deeper issue that I really needed to bring to God in, in the moment. So what does that mean for you? That means that the, that the addiction that you're struggling with is not really entirely about the drugs, the alcohol, the shopping, the pornography. No, there's something deeper that you need to lose. Your struggling marriage is not about toilet seats being left up and, and about finances, struggling finances. No, there's something deeper that you need to lose. Your, your battle with your kids, it's not always about them talking back or always playing video games all the time. No, there's something deeper that you need to lose. There is... There is something deeper going inside you that usually anxiety and depression are the symptoms of. And when we start to wrestle with those deeper things, the things that are really holding us back, that's when we actually start to see some freedom. That we actually get to be, that, that we get to see freedom that's more complete and longer lasting and, and much more healthy for us. So today what I want us to do is I want to look at a very, I believe, a very important section of scripture that will bring us a lot of hope and also direction on how to start losing the right things in our life. Found in Philippians chapter three. So if you have your Bibles with you, your Crossroads Grace apps, we'd love for you to turn with me to Philippians chapter three. And Melissa, if you don't mind, go ahead and put the, uh, the link in there for our friends online. Uh, and the reason that I, I believe that it's important to come back to God's word when it comes to this idea we're talking about is that if we're not careful, this subject could turn into a really like, I don't know, self-helpy type of thing. You know, Dr. Phil and all that stuff, we could look at it that way. But to get at what we really need to lose in our life, we have to look, not look to ourselves for the answer, but to look to God. Because we've tried to do it ourselves. And this is what we have got to. Me yelling at 10 and 11 year old kids, this is what's happened. But if we want true freedom, then we have to turn things over to God. And we have to choose to lose different things. So Philippians chapter three, we're gonna be able to see what we need to lose in order to be complete with Jesus. And to do that, we're gonna be hearing from the words of a man whose name is Paul. I make it no secret that I have a man crush on Paul. Like I can't wait to see that dude in heaven. Like he is the goat as far as I'm concerned. And Philippians is my favorite book in the Bible because it's this intense book where Paul not only challenges but encourages believers in a way that will empower them to cling to Jesus more. And, and you'll see what I mean in just a second here. So let, let's, let's jump in. Philippians chapter three, start in verse one. Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So, so what you're gonna see is that Paul, the first thing he says, he says, listen, I want you to rejoice, right? Rejoice. And, and you'll notice that Paul uses this phrase, it's a very common thing 
that he says to his readers. In fact, just in the next chapter, he'll say it in verse four, chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So you're probably asking yourself, what is this guy's deal? Like, what, what makes this guy so happy? Is he just one of those cheesy people who wakes up in the morning and their hair is perfect and they don't have morning breath and they just smile without even a cup of coffee? You know, those jerks in the world, right? Those people, is he one of those? Well, well what you might be surprised to learn about Paul is that he is actually telling people, rejoice while he sits in a jail cell. That's right. The book of Philippians, part of a broader group of letters that Paul wrote known as the prison epistles. It's a series of letters that Paul literally wrote to these churches while he's in jail. So this means that Paul is telling people, hey, rejoice, while he's sitting in a place that should be devoid of joy altogether. So this actually gives us the first thing that Paul is telling us that we should lose. And, and that is Paul is saying to us, lose despair. Paul is telling us that even when you are in the most difficult time in your life, you can still find joy. We don't have to let despair overtake us or make us lose perspective completely. He's saying that we can always find joy in every situation. So, so, so how is it that he could do that, right? How is it that he could find joy in a place, in a jail cell, that most people would lose it? But, well, the reason that he is able to find joy in losing despair is actually because of a very small qualifier that Paul puts on this whole rejoice thing. You see it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul says, he says, we should rejoice in the Lord. So the source of our joy is the Lord. It's not actually found in us. Thank goodness it's not found in us. But, but Paul gives us even a fuller picture of this when he, when he tells us in Philippians chapter one, he would say, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. There he is again. For I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, he says. So Paul is saying that he can rejoice in the Lord because he knows whatever happens to him can be used for God's glory that the spirit of Christ that lives in him will help him overcome anything he might face. And you should know the very same thing is true for you and it's true for me. So, so what Paul is really telling us in these first verses of, in Philippians 3 is that we should lose despair, find joy. Lose despair, find joy. We should lose despair and, and instead find joy in the Lord no matter what we're going through all because of what Jesus did for us and the grace that he gives us on the cross. But then Paul kind of changes gears and all of a sudden he points us to something that I would say is unusual that he asks us to lose next. We'll, we'll find it in verse two, Philippians chapter three. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, it's important to understand a little bit here what, what Paul is speaking about, okay? It's important. Because as you read the letters that Paul writes and anything he writes, he's kind of snarky, okay? Kind of, kind of, he's a little arrogant, almost like sarcastic, kind of like, I kind of like him. You know, he's in your face a little bit. So, so what does Paul mean when he sees, talks about dogs 
and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. I mean, clearly this could be describing Cleveland Brown fans. Like, it easily could be, right? But a little early in history for that to be the case. Well, well, to understand this, we actually have to pull the lens back a little bit further on, on history. And this requires us to go all the way back to when the first church was created in Acts chapter 2. And what you'll find as you read in Acts chapter 2 is that the first audience that the church was, was trying to reach was Jewish people. It makes perfect sense because all the followers of Jesus at the time, they were all Jews at the time. And when the first church started was in the temple on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival. So, so, so Jews were people that they're reaching, but Jesus was very clear in the Great Commission that this message that he had was not just to be shared strictly with the Jews. And we know that because of what Jesus tells us in Acts 1 verse 8. What he says in Acts 1 verse 8 is this. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So very closely, Jesus' commission to his disciples was to reach Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which clearly meant that the message of Jesus was going to go beyond just the Jewish people. And that's exactly what happened. As we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, we know that the church expanded and grew, and eventually through persecution, it started to reach the Samarias and the ends of the earth. That's what happened. But the biggest champion of sharing Jesus with people that weren't Jewish was Paul, the guy that wrote Philippians. When Paul first became a Christian, it was clear that his message was to reach a group of people called the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were people that just didn't believe in God, and they weren't Jews, so the Jews considered them unclean. You couldn't hang out with them. But when Paul became a Christian, as a result of Jesus literally speaking to him as he was going to kill other Christians, he says, stop killing Christians, start discipling Christians, the very first message that was given to him was that he was to bring the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, to people that didn't know God. So, so God is, is speaking here in, in, um, in Acts chapter 9. He says, he says uh, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God is describing to Paul what, what's going to happen. So Paul becomes a Jesus-sharing machine to the Gentiles, planting churches, greeting people. But the problem was that Paul, as Paul began to reach the Gentiles, the Jewish people started to get all upset. And they felt that it wasn't just enough for you to accept Jesus. The Jewish people felt that the Gentiles needed to do more than that. So they felt that they needed to become Jewish first, before they could become a Christian. And that group of people was known as the Judaizers. They believed that they, it needed to be Jesus plus something else in order to be saved. And what they were saying needed to happen was that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised before they could be truly saved. So this gives a whole new meaning to the phrase losing it, if you know what I mean, right? This is just a different kind of thing, right? But listen, that's what religious people do all the time. Religious people always want to make sure that it requires you to do something along with following God in order for you to be made right with God. Religious people always do that, all the time. Religious people cannot just simply accept the free gift that Jesus gives us because of his death, his burial, his resurrection on the cross. No, 
they constantly have to place more obstacles in front of you in order for you to be able to get to Jesus. So this is why Paul is really telling the, ref, the next thing that we need to lose. Are you ready? Paul is telling us we need to lose religion. Now, I know it seems crazy for a pastor to tell you this, right, that you should lose your religion. This isn't an REM song. Like, I, I'm just, I'm no joke. Because the truth is that Jesus, listen to me, Jesus did not come from heaven to earth, die on a cross, resurrect from the dead for religion. If someone told you that, they're lying to you. Jesus did all of that for something greater. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with him and not a religion with his name on it. This is why Paul said that we should find, that he he finds no confidence in the flesh. He's saying that we shouldn't find confidence in doing things for God, but instead receive from God the grace that's found in Jesus. Because there's absolutely nothing that we could do to save ourselves. It is only by the grace of God that we're saved. And what I love about Paul is that he's speaking from first person, that he experienced this himself. Again, look back at Philippians with me. Um, He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So what you need to realize that Paul just said here is he says he was the religious of the religious. He was the Steph Curry of religion, if we were using a baseball analogy, even though they lost to the Lakers, right? So this is what he's talking about. Paul had done everything possible that he could do to make himself the most righteous, the most religious person possible. But sadly, all that religion brought him to do was to kill Christians because of the power that was given to him. Paul found that religion was actually empty and evil and not righteous at all. It it wasn't until he actually met Jesus, had a relationship with him, that he truly understood what it meant to follow God. So what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, hey, lose religion, find relationship. Lose religion, find relationship. But Paul wasn't done. He wasn't done telling us what else we need to lose. And, And I want us to read these next couple of verses a little bit slower so we can chew on exactly what Paul is telling us. Look at verse seven. Uh, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So Paul says that whatever he gained, that means all the stuff that I had just read a second ago, that means all of the accolades that he had received as a religious person, that means all the power that went with those accolades, that means all the righteousness that he felt that he had achieved because of all his religion, that all the pride that he had gained from achieving these things by himself. I mean, Paul was on the fast track to becoming the most powerful person in all of Jerusalem, possibly. And he looks at all of that, and he says, you know what? I would lose it all for Jesus. He would would be willing to lose power and prestige and influence and money and respect and his religion. He said that he would lose it all for the sake of Christ. So what Paul is telling us here is that we need to lose the world. 
Because you can't help but read these passages and not hear a great deal of passion in Paul's voice. Paul isn't messing around here. He's really trying to drive home a ve this very important point to the readers. In fact, Paul was so emphatic about it that he would use the word lost or lose three times in just two sentences. Paul is saying it's worth losing everything for the sake of Christ. And, and being who Paul is, again, the guy that I got the go, he's the man, I want to read it, right? He takes it even one step further to, to, to prove this point. Because if you read really closely, you'll see how Paul describes all the stuff that he achieved. Did you catch it? He says, I consider them garbage. Now, this is for an instant where the English language doesn't do the Greek language very much justice. Because the word used for garbage is actually the word skubalon, right? Skubalon. He says, so I consider them skubalon. And what skubalon means by literal definition would be garbage or refuse. But yet the, the, it falls short even to understand it in the cultural context. So when Paul used skubalon in that time, it would have been the equivalent of, of him saying poop. Yeah, poop. Yeah. And, and not, nice, not the nice churchy way of saying poop, but the version that you might say when you stub your toe, right? Or when the Raiders lose another game, you know, like that version of the word, right? We're talking crass level use of that word. But, but Paul isn't trying to be edgy to be for edgy's sake. No, he's trying to make a very important point. Paul places all the things that he had achieved, all the things in this world that the world says, you should want all these things, and he places them in the toilet, and he says, I would rather flush these things than miss out on Jesus. That when you hold all of the things up that he'd achieved into the light, and then compare it with knowing who Jesus and what he offers, he says, it's not even a tough decision. He says, losing all of that and gaining Jesus is always worth it. So he's saying, love the world, find Jesus. Like lose the world, find Jesus. Lose the world, find Jesus. So I don't know, let, let me ask you, how are you, how are you doing with that? Well, hang on a second, let me jump in the pool with you here for a second, okay? How are we doing with that? Okay, because I got some issues. How are we doing with losing despair and finding joy? Losing religion and finding relationship, losing the world and finding Jesus. Because I'll tell you, there are some days that I start reading the news and looking at social media, it's really hard to find joy. There are days when it would be a lot easier to follow a, a set of rules in order to know God than actually work on a relationship with him. I mean, there are, there are times that the, what the world offers, I'm just being honest with you, there are times when what the world offers seems to be a whole lot more fun than what Jesus offers. And that's just me being real with you today. And, and maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing I might not be alone. I bet you probably have some of those days too. And, and the problem for us is that we don't have proper perspective with it all. We are only able to see a very small piece of the cosmic puzzle. God doesn't give us the full view of what's going on. So, so what we do then, it, it, without the full view, is what we hang on to a moment, don't we? And we tell ourselves, I'm just gonna live in the moment. But the problem is that moment sometimes is deceiving. It'll distract us, it'll overwhelm us, and it'll keep us from the bigger picture that Jesus says, hey, I'm painting this, just hang on. Consider what Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians. I'm, 
I love what, what he says here. In 1 Corinthians, out of the NLT, he says, now we see things imperfectly. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know or know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. And so, so what we're left with when we're faced with a partial puzzle is that we, what, what God says is, hey, would you just put your trust in me? Would you put your trust in me, the one that has the full picture, and don't trust your partial view? And, and Paul actually speaks to this whole phenomenon again in Philippians chapter three. If we go back and look at verse nine, there he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that the way that we continue to grow closer to God and not lose it over the wrong things is by finding faith in him. It's by desiring to know Christ over anything else, more than worry, more than anxiety, more than popularity, more than addiction, more than success, more than parenting perfection, more than marital bliss, more than anything. Paul says that knowing Christ needs to be the most preeminent thing in our entire life. And, and listen, a lot of things that I just listed on there are pretty good things, aren't they? It's good to be a good parent. It's good to have a good marriage. Like Those are good things. The danger is that when they become more important than Jesus, we get in trouble. Because I just, I want you to know, when this life is over, our relationship with Jesus, that's all that's gonna matter. And it's then that we will see that full picture we just read of God's plan. And when we see it, it's not gonna matter how much that we've made, how big our social media following was, how much we worried about our kids or our job. It's not going to matter. So it, it truly boils down to our faith in Jesus. And I know, I know this can sound overwhelming. It might even seem like something like, well, gosh, what you're talking about, PB, that's only for hyper-spiritual people like Paul. Only he could probably do that. But again, Paul speaks to this like as he closes out to Philippians 3. Again, I love his words. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Don't you love the fact that Paul says, I, even, I haven't even gotten there yet. That even he is still trying to lose the right things and find the right things when it comes to Jesus. So I don't know about you, but man, that, it gives me a lot of reassurance that if Paul, like Paul, can't master it, then I probably should be okay that I haven't mastered it yet either. Because hey, hand in the air, I'm nowhere near perfect. Oh my goodness gracious. But what Paul does say is that it's a journey. And this journey is gonna require us to move forward and closer to Jesus every day of our life. That as we, don't you love that word, strain forward and press on towards Jesus Sometimes feeling like we're swimming upstream against this crazy world that we live in, he's saying, man, it's all worth it. 
that our faith in Jesus will never be looked at as scubalon, but it will ultimately be the most prized thing in our entire life. Because the bottom line is that God is calling you and me to lose it for him, to lose the garbage that holds onto us in this life. It's called sin. And instead, find what brings us life that's only found in him. And what we gain by by losing those things is so much different than losing it over, over our kids or our spouse or our boss, right? Because instead of shame and guilt, we gain Christ when we lose all that stuff. He's the true liberator of our souls, and he wants nothing more than to see us free. And so I, I, I tell you that, and, and you could probably even start to think, well, man, it sounds like I gotta really get after it and buck up. Did you know that God actually doesn't want us to live this life by ourselves? That one of the best ways for you to, to, to lose the right thing is to do it in community with other people so they can maybe point out some stuff that you miss or be able to say, hey, I think maybe if you lost that, you might find some more freedom. That's why growth groups are such an important part of what we do around here. So the summer session is coming up. We'd love for you to sign up for a growth group because we need community. We need accountability. Me too. It's so important. We were never meant to be alone. And so I would love for you to consider joining a summer growth group. Did, did you know... Did you know that that Satan doesn't take a summer break? Yeah, it's a crazy thing. Yeah, he's full on tilt the whole time. Um, But yet, isn't it interesting where we just kind of like push pause on our spiritual life in the summer and be like, see you in September. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. I'd encourage you to get some community around you. And as you consider that, I want you to also consider these couple things this week. I want you to reread Philippians 3 that we just read. Do that on your own this week. I want you to... uh, Take a step to find some community and accountability this week, somehow, some way. And then I want you to lose one thing this week that'll help you to find God more. Something just to do. Now, in 1904, there was a young man by the name of William Borden, and uh, he graduated high school. Um, and he came from a very wealthy family, and, and his graduation present, check this out, he was 16, by the way, when he graduated high school. His graduation pr- uh, present was a trip around the world. Yeah, we're barely going to get to Disneyland, maybe. I don't know. But, right, he went to trip around the world. But as he traveled around the world, he went through Asia, the Middle East. He went through Europe. He became so connected to the world's hurting people. And so it was on that trip that he told his parents when he returned that he wanted to become a missionary and reach the least of these for Jesus. He had this desire to become a missionary. And even though his friends told him, like, dude, you're throwing your life away to become a missionary, you've got everything for you. William, he was focused. He wanted to become a missionary. History tells us that on that worldwide tour, he wrote in the back of his Bible these two words. He wrote, no reserves in the back of his Bible. Well, William eventually attended Yale University, and during his college years, William made an, an, an entry in his personal journal one day, and in this entry said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self, say yes to Jesus every time. And man, he lived it out while he was at Yale. While he was there, he started a Bible study and it started off with about zero people, a couple people, and ended up being over 150 students that would come and pray and read the Bible every week with him. But his mind was still focused on this missions work. And when he graduated from Yale, he continued to take strides to go to China to reach people there. And in his graduation from Yale, in the back of his Bible, he wrote these other two words. He wrote, no retreat. Well, William went on to finish his master's degree at Princeton University, their seminary, for his master's. And after he finished his studies, he ended up going to China to reach Chinese Muslims for Jesus, to fulfill this dream 
that he had all the way back when he was 16 years old. However, when he got to China, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, he died. William was only 25 years old. And you might say, what a waste of a life. He had all these resources, everything for him. Why would he do that? But when the family um, examined the back of his Bible, they found one last phrase next to the other two that read, no regrets. A young man that by every worldly measure had everything going for him. He had all the accolades, all the wealth, everything he would never, ever need. But he saw that as, as nothing compared to following Jesus with his life. He lived his life with those exact way, words that he wrote in his Bible, with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Man, what if we could live our life that way? That we might lose despair and find joy, lose religion, find relationship, lose the world, find Jesus. That when our life is over, that people might look at our life and say they lived it for Jesus with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. This life is a journey. It will not always be perfect. I can guarantee you that. But what I can tell you is that following Jesus is always worth it. And losing all the other stuff that keeps us from him only help you find freedom quicker. Lose despair, find joy. Lose religion, find relationship. Lose the world, find Jesus. And when you do that, you'll be losing the right thing. Now, in a second, we're going to be hearing a song, and uh, at some point you may want to sing with us, you can, but also we're going to take communion, but we'll do it a little different than we normally do we're going to allow you to take communion, whatever you feel like you want to. Communion is a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The bread represents his broken body. His, the juice represents his shed blood. And we take that communion reverently because we don't want to have it just be a mid-service snack, but we want it to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us. That because he lost his life for us, we can gain our life. We can find life. So as you think about your life, where you need to lose it or where you have lost it and need to ask for forgiveness, maybe, just maybe, you remember your communion time a little bit differently. And then as we think about the journey that we're on, that we would simply trust Jesus more. That we, true, we too could live like William Borden, not having anything held back. So at any time during this song, you'd be willing that you can welcome to take communion. But I encourage you to take some time with him now and focus on him. Father God, we love you. We pray right now, God, as we prepare to take communion to remember your son Jesus, that we would, we would consider what we're losing in our life. Are we losing it over the wrong things? Are we losing things that are bringing us closer to you? Father, only you can speak to our innermost parts on that. And so, Father, I pray that as, this, as we consider that, as we take communion individually, that we would truly say, I want my life to be lived for you. And that anything other than Jesus is scubalon. Father, we just pray that you would move in this place now. May we hear from you. May we trust you.
May we give you the glory. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. 